The Saint of the Wilderness, also known as Sheffy, by Jess Carr, Chapter 14, Part 2. From Cripple Creek, he decided to go through Withville and back over Walker's Mountain to Bland. The route was more picturesque than going by way of Pulaski and Dublin, and perhaps a little shorter. The next day, Gideon moved briskly along the Riley Grayson Turnpike through Kent's Mill and began crossing Cove Mountain. At the foot of Little Walker Mountain, a fast-moving rider turned onto the turnpike from a side, tra side trail. In a moment, the frothing horse, horse and his rider were at Robert's side. Have you seen Aunt Sis? The young man said. Who? Aunt Sis Umbringer, the midwife. She's supposed to be working around the mountain here today. Don't know her and haven't seen a woman on horseback, Robert said. She rides a mule and we got to get her. My sister's in bad labor, real bad. Robert volunteered to ride alternate trails with the young man in the search for the midwife. An hour later, she still had not been found, but they learned specifically where she was. I'll go get her, the young man said. You listen to what I'm saying, and then ride ahead and tell the folks I found her, and that we'll be along shortly. Robert did as requested, and found the young girl in agonizing labor, with no one in attendance except her mother and a neighbor woman, who was some distance from sobriety. Has her husband been sent for? Robert asked. That might ease her a little, if she knew he was around. She ain't got no husband, the mother said. The baby is a bastard, and if I'm guessing right about the daddy, the same word fits him. Let's just make her as comfortable as we can then until the umbringer woman gets here, Robert said. We ought to call in the whole county seat, especially the young girls, the mother said. Maybe if they saw the agony side of it, they'd do some two-way thinking. That may be so, but our dear Jesus didn't revile the worst of sinners when they were in their agony, Robert said. The girl's cries reached intense proportions, and there was little he could do except to continue to bathe her sweating forehead with a damp cloth. The girl's mother held her daughter's twitching legs apart as steady as possible. It won't be long, child. Aunt Sis will be here directly. The mother's voice softened as her child's pain deepened. Oh, mama. Oh, mama. Oh, mama. The girl groaned pitifully, the braying of a mule rushing faster than agreed with his constitution announced the coming of Aunt Sis Umbinger. Uh, the tall, mannish-looking woman strode into the room and took instant command. She greeted Robert by name, which surprised him, and went about her pr preparations. Her back was ramrod straight, her face and hands leather leatherly, uh, but seemingly gentle. Be gone with ya, the midwife said through taunt lips set above a twitching chin with an occasional wild black whisker. A sweep of her arms indicated to the onlookers that she meant now. Robert sat in the backyard with the girl's brother, who seemed unusually quiet. Finally, the young man said, I never figured who you was until Aunt Sis called your name.
I don't remember any of your family either, Robert said. You wouldn't. A long time ago, our pa said a crazy preacher came by and prayed with him to destroy his still and quit making liquor. Pa said he laughed at the man and whooped him a little. Said the man prayed that then for his whole still house to be prized out with a crowbar. About a year after that, our family fell on hard times and had to sell off over half the, our farm. Papa happened along a few days after the sale and saw the new owners and his boys tilting the stillhouse over with their crowbars. Pa said he never made a drop of liquor after that, and he was a changed man. You are the man he talked about, Brother Sheffy. You are that man. God be praised that your father was changed by my prayers or those of any other man, Robert said. It didn't change Ma any. She had it hard for too many years, and she wakes up hoping every day will be her last. Would you go bring me the sheepskin on my saddle, son? The sunbeams are coming through that elm tree at the top of the hill like the very gates of heaven were open. Do not come aid and get me. I will be down when I am through. When he descended the hill, all the rest had eaten their dinner, and the newborn baby boy lay in his cradle, giving a low, trembling cry. Is the girl all right? He directed his question toward the midwife. Oh, of course she is. The young, one, young ones make a lot of noise, but they're tough as a pine knot. He asked if he could have something to eat as soon as he talked with the new mother. As they fixed his plate, he went to the young woman's bedside. She was still panting from her labor, and her sensitive face was pale, but she smiled broadly. He's a pretty baby. Have you seen him, Mr. Sheffy? Big feet like mine and all. I want you to baptize him, too. Her chatter seemed endless and evasive, but he sat with his comforting hand upon her arm until her voice was quiet. He said nothing then, for he knew by experience what the second phrase of the conversation would be. Brother Sheffy, I know I have sinned. Will God forgive me and use my son and not curse him? She began in the same manner he had heard countless times across the years. He heard her out and went to his food. As soon as I eat, we will have a family service around the bed of the new mother, he said to all. It was clear when he began that, every, that nobody in the household was accustomed to family prayer. He could always tell. They squirmed and shuffled and played with their fingers and picked at a thousand pieces of imaginary lint upon their clothing. The young sister had has confessed her sin to me already, he began, and she prays to a loving God to forgive her and use this child. Human mistakes can be turned around and proved a blessing to God, though we must always bear the scars of our failures. I have prayed about this one once already today. I asked my dear Lord to make this little one a blessing in this house. I asked the Lord to make this mother a good mother, and for this grandmother also to feel a new burst of life and strength as she comes to love the little one. I'm going to ask for more than that, for the storehouse of our Lord is surely bountiful. 
He grasped the infant by the foot before he prayed. Timidly they bowed as he spoke. O oh Lord, we have not loved thee enough. We have not trusted thee nor called upon thee enough. For surely thy gifts are ten thousand times more generous than we have ever asked. Lord, we asked of thee a mighty thing today, not to our glory, but to thine. Take this little infant boy and make of him thine advocate, who will stand in a hundred pulpits across this land and bring a thousand souls into thy kingdom. And Lord, thy servant Sheffy would like to know what dispositions are made of the, his position, and if it be thy will, tell me before I join thee in heaven thy plan for this little one's life. Amen. Swiftly he got up and moved away through the front door and out among the trees. They would not understand why his very soul cried out for him to shout, why in loving and uh, why in loving and serving his God and his blessed son, the joy so warmed and overpowered him. Aunt Sis sat astride her mule when he came back to the house. If a mule can walk beside a horse and a midwife can ride along with a preacher, I don't see any reason why we can't uh, leave together, do you? He said. I rode off with worse characters, she said unsmiling, and took the lead. By the middle of the next afternoon, he dismounted at the home of his good friend, Josiah Bruce, in Bland County. Hardly had his feet touched the ground when Bruce, his senior, by a dozen years, met him at the yard gate. Brother Bob, old friend, it's not our regular preaching day. What are you doing here so soon? Robert told him of the trip he was now concluding, and said, The sweet Lord has not seen fit to make a great preacher out of me, but those things he has had me experience in this life can be retold to his glory. I have much to tell you and our little congregation. It is well you came a day early, for storm clouds are now gather closer home. I had bet best warn you of the danger so you can be prepared, but there's no rush about it. Come inside and rest yourself. My good wife uh, has made some damson pies, and now you can eat them sooner than she expected. In minutes, Mr. Bruce or Mrs. Bruce began whipping the rich cream she had skimmed from the milk-filled crock of her spring house. Sister Bruce, you know how I like it now. Spread a thin <coughs> paste of honey <coughs> over the pie crust before you put the whipped cream on. I know how you like it, Brother Sheffy. I've fixed it for you before, you remember? Some of God's people preach a better sermon with their kindness than I ever did in the pulpit, Sister Bruce. You are one of those because of your tender care of me across the years. Maybe you'd better wait and taste the pie first, she said. Go on back in the parlor now with Josiah and I'll bring it to you. He did not obey her immediately, for he felt a giddy anticipation that compelled him to stay and witness the whole process. Josiah called to him, and reluctantly he left the room. In seconds he stepped back through the door. Sister, 
Be sure and use a clean knife to cut the pie. <laughs> that evening, before bedtime, Josiah Bruce outlined to him what storm clouds he was, had referred to. Some of the toughs in the neighborhood are out to get you, and they're not holding their tongues about it. My guess is we can expect the service to be interrupted tomorrow. From what I've heard, they're not as mad about you praying against their liquor-making and drinking as they are about you calling their them lost souls and praying for them by name. We'll go about the Lord's business as schedule, Josiah. If they come tomorrow, it may mark the very day when we can rescue another soul from for the kingdom. The next day he preached and prayed with the small group of worshippers without interruption. There seemed visible relief among the people as they departed the Bruce home. Josiah shouldn't pay any attention to those roughnecks. They've got more mouth than muscle, Robert heard somebody say. In a way, he was also relieved, but it was it was not a comfortable relief. How could he effectively fight God's foe if there was no confrontation? When Josiah brought his horse around to the front, uh, this impending confrontation still rested on his mind. Josiah, before our next meeting date, get word to those who have fought against me and tell them I will meet them wherever they want. I believe I can stand at the whipping post and show them that they cast more darkness and light. There are many roads to Christ, dear Josiah, and we will keep the byways open. Uh, he positioned his sheepskin upon the saddle and tied his saddlebags securely before mounting Gideon. The animal seemed fidgety, but in a moment Robert was on and seated comfortably. Be good to Sister Bruce, Josiah. The sweet Lord has given you a pearl of precious worth in that woman, and bless your whole family. Come any time, Brother Bob. When you are here, our house is especially blessed. Gideon started down the dusty road in a spirited trot. Robert began to sing, for the spirit of the service he had just finished was still very much with him. At about the same time, he heard the voice of Josiah Bruce call out to him a shrill warning. Bushes parted on each side of the road, and a tan muscular arm wrapped around his waist before he was aware that anyone was behind him. The grip tightened dragging him from the saddle and flinging him onto the, the road. The fall stunned him, but he did not lose consciousness. Stomp the life out of the old devil, someone called from the sh shoulder of the road. The command was obeyed, for next he felt a heavy boot upon his leg and then upon his stomach. On instinct, he tried to stand, and a fist from another direction crashed into his jaw. A handful of dirt and gravel peppered his mouth and chin, but was soon washed away by his bleeding nose. Let him go, he heard Josiah Bruce's voice shouting. Robert raised to his elbow and saw his old friend five fire a warning shot into the air. For a moment the attackers paused, but from the bushes other men converged to, to overpower his gun-wielding rescuer. He tried to sound the alarm, but all the air seemed to be stomped out of his aching lungs. With 
the lightning move of hounds on a rabbit, Josh, Josiah uh, was thrown onto the dirt and his gun taken from him. We ain't got no fight with you, Josiah, a man Robert recognized said, lessen it's because you open your doors to that little weasel there. Leave him alone, Josiah called. He preaches the word of God, and you know it, and I know it. If it causes gravel in your shoes, maybe it ought to. He can shout and preach and pray all he wants, but he'd better stop calling me and the others by our names. And while we're at it, he'd better not be seen down on the creek anymore, nosing around our stills. We got troubles enough without him praying for floods and lightning strikes. He's got half the county scared to death, telling around that what he prays for comes to pass. Robert got his breath back momentarily and sat up. Woody, he addressed the hostile spokesman, I bear you no personal harm, but it is not God's will that you... Shut your mouth, Woody shoved him backward with his foot. Josiah started to lunge at Robert's tormentor, but was restrained. And you too, or I'll crack your own gun barrel over your head. I won't stop praying for your soul, Woody, nor those of your friends, Robert said. Woody made no effort to strike him this time, but a terrible fury shone from black eyes set in a massive head. My soul ain't bothering no, me none, and I don't figure it's any worry of yours, and don't think there's not all kinds of ways to stop you. I'm not the only man who's got it on his mind either. Why, you can't hardly hire a decent still hand in no more. They're all scared to death you'll pray them into hell or cause a tree to fall and burst their skulls open. If I was a younger man, I'd do some skull busting of my own, Josiah Bruce said. Now leave us alone and go about your evil business if that's the only thing you got brains enough to think about. This ain't the end of it, Woody said and motioned his followers away. Robert could not stand without his friend's help. Just put your arm around my neck, Brother Bob. We'll get you patched up. You best stay the night. We've not, uh, we're not going to send you home to Eliza and Eddie until you're in good riding shape. The soreness in his body had not left him when a week passed. It, he was, therefore, at home when a messenger of the Bland County Court advised him that his assailants had been arrested and would be tried. Furthermore, his testimony would be needed to ensure the conviction of the guilty men. It's not in my heart to testify against them, Robert said. You must, or the court will have you summoned. Is there no other way? I can't answer that. You will have to speak to the judge beforehand if you don't want to go. On the trial date, he went to Bland, and when he got there, the court was ready in session, or already in session, dealing with another case. He sat on the hard seat for only a minute before he crept forward to the bench and grasped the arm of the presiding judge. The judge turned his eyes from the papers before him and put his left hand over his an ear, shutting out the graving of the attorney for the Commonwealth. He leaned forward as Robert stood on tiptoe, the better to show himself 
to the judge. Reverend Sheffy, you're, you are interrupting a court in session, the judge whispered. Your case is not yet to be heard. Let them go, Robert said. I beg your pardon? Let them go. The judge quickly ascertained that Robert meant the men who had attacked him, not the criminals presently at the bar. Do you mean you will not press charges? You will not testify? The only testimony my heart would let, leave, me, leave me free to give is that my sweet Lord loves them. Let them go, your mercy, and I will praise your name. The judge studied Robert's eyes and gave his head a slight reluctant twist. Are you sure you don't want to testify against these men? Their actions and general reputation indicate that sentences are in order. They meant no harm. It was the devil acting in a moment of their weakness. The court cannot look at things in quite the same way, Reverend. Now that my sweet Lord has let me think upon the matter, I might have to testify that I provoked them. Very well, then. It seems that the case for the Commonwealth is weakening. I just hope you have an end figured out for this episode. Men do not write an end to things. Your mercy, would you not agree to that? Have you not sent a man to prison who came back a saint, or met a saint who fell from grace into the dungeon? When he returned home, Eliza appeared to be watching his him suspiciously for the first few hours. Her alert eyes seemed always to pierce him like steel, which never failed to delight him, but when he kept something from her they would light up like fireflies. Robert, look at me. You let the men go free, didn't you? Now, Eliza, we don't question the other days when God is so merciful. Why should we Make mention of it today. Oh, Robert, may heaven protect you. You are certainly incapable of it yourself. Don't fuss with me now. I've got to put my thoughts in order and make some arrangements about Winterwood. John Frank has already brought a load and a neighbor you'd never guess is bringing another. What would I do without you, dear Eliza, and without them too? But do they all look after you and little Eddie out of pity or because they believe the Lord sends me? It is not well that you know all the answers to that question just now, my husband. Just trust and go about your work. There seems plenty to occupy you for a while. He glanced toward the desk, which Eliza always kept in immaculate order, and noticed the, un the usual three stacks of letters. Commanding his attention first, however, was a letter placed alone on the desk. Why is this one by itself? he asked, without bothering to read first. It's from an old friend of yours on Cripple Creek, John Simmerman, I believe his name is. He wants to know if you will sell him your Cripple Creek farm. Robert sat and read the letter, figuring, f fingering his beard in deep thought. Well, are you interested? Eliza said after a while, I don't rightly know on such short notice. There's some good judgment and some bad too that runs through my head. There's no hurry, and I'll want to talk to the Lord about it. Next time, chapter 15.